Hey everybody, Magnus here. As many of you know, last week, it came out that Spider-Man is going to be appearing in some upcoming new Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. As a matter of fact, word around the campfire has it that... I guess the creative powers that be at Marvel Studios are going to be consulting with... Sony Pictures over how best to, I don't know, lead Spider-Man into a better tomorrow, as far as big screen live action movies are concerned. Now, in relation to that, it blows my mind that the next live action Spider-Man might very well be Miles Morales. It blows my mind even more that a lot of people out there seem okay with that possibility. But here's the thing. It's a retarded idea and shouldn't even be considered. That's basically all I had to say. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Doctor Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I loves me some non-fiction comics. As a matter of fact, I love them so much that every seventh episode, I put my usual discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows, all of that stuff on pause, so as I can talk about some non-fiction comics. What I do is select an entry in the DC Paradox Press line of big books, and I talk about it. And I call these episodes... The Big Book Report. But I'm not alone when I do this. Nope. Joining me once again is Two True Freaks co-host and former O.J. Simpson juror, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you doing? Hello. You know... I don't often imitate Trentus Magnus and introduce the show, but sometimes I'm just sort of put on the spot. But do I balk? Nope. Published in 1996, Big Book of Little Criminals details some of the world's most incompetent felons, a subject that I'm quite familiar with, such as Shanghai Kelly, who kidnapped men and forced them to work on ships. Also, stories of U.S. senators caning their colleagues, colonial counterfeiters, the Hitler diary forgeries, and a crook who nearly succeeded in buying Portugal. Portugal. <laughs> and that was a good story, too. <laughs> um, 
Dude, it has been, what's it been? It's been like two or three months it's since we got It's been a couple months, because the last time I think we recorded like all sorts of extra material and it's been sort of uh, filling in the blanks in between. Yeah, it has. And uh, so anyway, it's just it's good to talk to you. I always like having you around. So, um, But this is, to kind of get it all on topic, obviously we're talking about the big book of little criminals here. And this is a sort of unusual big book in as much as it's got several writers rather than one or two mm-hmm. maybe like previous big books and so I guess to get into it those writers are uh, George Hagenhauer Carl Safakis Tom Pyre Joel Rose and Lou Stathis and Judy McGuire as to the artists I'm not going to read every single one of these but you've all over movies. the place oh I know and that actually kind of leads into a comment I wanted to make but um, you've got some really recognizable, at least recognizable to me, uh, names like Brent Anderson, Terry Austin, M.D. Bright, Pat Broderick, Rick Burkett, Burchet, fucked if I know how to pronounce that guy's name, Rick Geary, Dave Gibbons, Paul Gulacy, Kevin McGuire, our old favorite, Graham Manley, Joe Orlando, Frank Quitely, Joe Staten, freaking Ty Templeton, and Mike Zeck. And... A lot of these names are kind of usual suspects when it comes right. to the big book series, but I gotta tell you, dude, a lot of these names dude. haven't done big books before, at least that I'm aware of. No, there's, a, there's, a, I, I, it, it, you got your sort of, um, the, the same indie guys showing up, but yeah, and then you got, but then you've got a lot of mainstream comic guys, and I don't know if maybe. Uh, you see, I've read a lot of these stories not in a big book form, but in the hundred percent true magazine form that they, that these are sort of compilations of. Um, so I've read a lot of these. So, so I don't know if maybe they did three or four issues of the the magazine, and maybe a different there was a different writer on each one. But this one really has a. a I've just noticed a lot more mainstream. Um, comic names popping out like Klaus Jansen there's a very Frank Miller sort of strip um, and Pat Broderick does the Swamp Bandit story that I, I don't think I've seen Pat Broderick in these before Ditto. and um, Ernie Cullen shows up for one who I remembered him from uh, Amethyst Princess of Gemworld oh wow that I did not know. I used to buy those in in the 80s. Those were one of the few DC... Co- I had a weird weird selection of DC comics that I bought in the 80s. I was a Marvel guy, but Amethyst Princess of Gen World was one of them, mostly for Ernie Cullen's art. Yeah, and the one that stood out to me in all of this was... Um, well, actually, there were three. Dave Gibbons, Paul Gulacy, and Kevin McGuire. Dave Gibbons, I think, because at this point, you know, his legend is... It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Gulacy, because he's one of those artists that I don't know has ever really gotten like full mainstream appreciation, at least that I think he deserves. And then Kevin McGuire, because he's one of those comics pros that I've never really followed his work all that closely. But at the same time, it seems like the specter of Kevin McGuire's work has always sort of haunted my collection, always there on the periphery of uh, whatever it was that I that I was collecting. And it's like Waiting, he's always been watching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, those are the and, – and to be fair, I mean, I really do like his style. No one quite draws the way he does. And so 
that's you know all of those things are fine so yeah like you say you know you've got your joe orlando's and frank quitely's and joe staten's and stuff but you've also got some sort of different artists in here like brent anderson and the other ones i just mentioned so um but one of the things that stood out to me conspicuously absent was um fuck now i'm 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 blanking on the guys the walking dead guy oh yeah 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 he's he's usually in there and um um adlard charlie adlard yeah that's the one and um sergio aragonas usually pops up too yeah i don't don't remember seeing his name either i didn't see him in here in here um and that actually kind of and you sort of tackled one of the questions i had um apart from rick geary i don't think there are None of the um, other names really stood out to me as being from the underground world, or at least not basically newcomers to this from the right. underground world. But um, I guess in relation to this specific entry, what do you what did you think of it? Just like in general, like how does this one stack up to previous big books that we've talked about? I gotta say, I was kind of not looking forward to it as much as some of the other ones like i i was kind of worried that we blew our wad in the beginning with the really weirdo ones mm-hmm. and that this uh, what did we do last time big book of death death and that one kind of was a little of a clunker at least it wasn't it i mean we managed to to get some good material out of it but once i started reading that when i first started reading this i'm like all right this is just going to be short collection of crime stories but once i started reading it and like the patterns started whether they meant it or not or it was just the patterns of you know crime stories started emerging into it i started really enjoying it mostly by the stuff that it made me think of around the stories rather than the stories i mean the stories themselves are all good they're all stand out you know, stories in crime for one reason or another. But a, a lot of the time, you know, I started noticing, uh, you know, a lot of these stories are set back in the 20s and the 18, you know, the late 1800s and stuff like that. Mostly, be, you know, they probably don't go for much further back than that because, you know, um, just having it correctly and accurately written down is probably you know the the criminals that came out of the 1600s and 1500s and stuff that got written down and remembered are the big criminals not the little criminals you know not small time this is purely stuff out of police blotters and uh it just made me think about how in in the past it was kind of just sort of free reign for criminal. I mean, not that we don't have criminals and scam artists and stuff, but they work on a different level than they did. And they work in a, a different world where back where a lot of these stories were made, the technology for catching criminals and communication made it was so far behind that it made it possible for these people to do things that they could never get away with today. And especially you know the scam artists and and stuff and the people who would impersonate somebody and stuff like that although there's still people who do it it just seemed like you know the past was a wide open era for crime <laughs> right and I, I i think the technology gap there is actually um like you say like one of the things that really does make this interesting but i have to wonder if maybe 
cooler heads didn't prevail at some point? Because I, I, I have to think that you and I cannot be the only ones who really weren't all that big on uh, the big book of uh, Scandal. Right. Which had all of this, at least for us, really contemporaneous or relatively contemporaneous type, type of stuff that was going on. And when you think about it, that sort of late Victorian area um, of... Uh, it was almost right. gossip, basically. Right, and there's a there's a sort of tawdry yes. factor to it, and you know, I I just think that you know you you can get a little bit more out of. I don't know. I just I like the way that the, that they did it here, and so um, we're probably going to be getting into that. I guess speaking of getting into that, um, I truly can't remember who went first last time because oh, guys, no it, idea. <laughs> yeah, it it was months ago, so. Uh, it was months ago when Chris and I recorded our Big Book of Death episode. And so in true democratic fashion, I made the executive decision that I'm going first Excellent. this time. So first up in my list, we've got the savage caning of Senator Sumner by Bully Boy Brooks on the floor of the United States Senate. I knew you were going to pick this one, too. <laughs> you know, it's my first note in my of, of my notes. Well, and the thing is that w what works for me about this is that the title of the story pretty much sums it up. Yeah. So um, you don't really even need to go into too much detail here. The thing about this story that just fucking works for me is it relates to an era of American politics that I truly don't think most people remember. But oh, dude, they you don't. Think it was uh, not. This was we were we didn't learn about this in school, you know. Yeah. And, like, just to think about it, dude, I mean, like, people think that today is politically divisive and uncivil. Okay, Motherfucker. Obviously. Yeah, I haven't heard any stories about people beating the crap out of each other on the Senate floor lately. What about you? I haven't. Uh, there hasn't been a duel in recent memory, if, if I can recall. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I, I mean, I mean, we were my picture of the, the old days of senators and congressmen or stuff. Uh, yes, I, I, I do. I can interpolate back and go, yes, these that they, they were the same kind of people that become senators and congressmen now. And, you know, you have the same like, you know, there's going to be people who are pompous and corrupt and 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 all that and, and windbags and all that. But <laughs> yeah. you, you also think of them as kind of even while they're doing it, they're doing it as distinguished gentlemen and you know that blah 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 no these guys were this this was the wild wild west on the east coast it's uh, the last panel of the the car cartoon is like guns knives and you know weapons were uh, just a commonplace occurrence on the the floors of of uh the senate you know in those days well yeah and if you think about it the country was just it was years maybe like decades at most but just a few years away from going to war with itself and, you know, if you have people in the north who are willing to shoot people from the south and vice versa, how much how much truer is that going to be whenever these people are expected to work together, right. vote together, you know? And it just kind of made me think, you know, um, how awesome would that be if that happened today? I mean, you could have a cage match between John Boehner 
and Nancy Pelosi, or maybe like a knife fight oh between God. Joe Biden oh my and, God. And, and, and Ted Cruz. I mean, the fucking possibilities here are yeah. endless. Oh my God, and, I would pay good money for that. That that starts getting me interested in sports right there. <laughs> well, and here's another thing. It gets people interested in sports. It gets them interested in, um, in uh, I guess, like the profit-making, like gambling aspect. Sure. But here's another aspect of it that fucking nobody will generate revenue, that's for sure. You know what else it's going to generate? Third parties. Because just think about it. It gives people a whole new incentive to elect third parties, doesn't it? Because just imagine. Yeah, but then all the new people that are going to be running are going to be like steroided out, you know, road warriors. <laughs> well, right. But, I mean, you know, people keep talking about unity, unity, unity. Guys, the Democrats and the Republicans could sure as shit unite on that stuff and gang up on whoever the third party dude Jesse is. Jesse Ventura's back, baby. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I got something even better than that. I mean, shit, just imagine. What if Chuck Norris becomes the senator from some fucking state or another? How awesome would that be? Could, yeah, Chuck, you know? Chuck Norris versus Je Jesse Ventura cage match. It's yeah, basically idiocracy. <laughs> yeah, or here's one. Like, that's how we settle runoff elections. I mean, you know, there's no reason not to move this a little further back in the political process. You're right. They're still going to beat the crap out of each other. We're just moving it a little bit further ahead. Number one, you're teaching the children all about civics and democracy and the way that elections are supposed to work. And number two, you're keeping it interesting for mom and dad, for the adults who have to, you know, pay these bastards taxes. I mean, and everybody you can wins here. Information on on Darwinism. Fuck yeah! I mean, you know, I'm I'm telling you, we need to go back to the era of the violent Congress where everybody beats the hell out of everybody well, else. Maybe get a couple of duels going or something. What's funny on this is on, on, on one level, it is a political, they are having a political argument. The whole thing started from, uh, what was it? Charles Summer was, was the abolitionist and he, you know, he was giving a fiery speech and he focused on, you know, another Senator named Brooks. But then, then it also takes on the, the, level of a like kind of a family feud where mm -hmm. it's like hey you basically the guy who beat him up wasn't the other senator it was his brother who yeah. was just a you know a bit a big guy it sounds like the the brother was a big dumb guy and he's like he said what about my brother and and uh the, the i thought the most insane part of it is while the guy brutally beat him about the head with a pipe or with a cane Pretty much everybody stood aside out of, it seems like from the description in the story, a combination of either cow extreme cowardice or, eh. <laughs> well, the guy know. had it coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was applause and like a little laughter, it, it was saying, you know. So that's, that's just crazy. And the guy who, I mean, when you say beating within an inch of someone's life, this is about the definition of that. The guy was took him three years to recover and yeah. came back, I'm assuming, with probably an eye patch because <laughs> he was blind in one eye. And uh, he pretty much didn't come to much, but uh, the guy who beat him up, what, did a short short little jail stint? and Or no, he paid a fine, didn't he? It was like a... Yeah, dude, that is like the definition of slap on the wrist yes, right there. It was like pay a three hundred. I mean, $300 was a lot of money, I'm sure, back then. But still, $300 and then... It seemed like everybody was mailing him money in canes, so he probably made money <laughs> off Bruto. That's that's just the insane thing in here is the 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 lengths that um, corruption succeed. In the book with the name "Little Criminals," it makes you and with the history of this, 
it, it makes you want to think they're failures. You know, that's usually sort of the theme of the big books. But some of these guys just get away with it. <laughs> it's it's just a story of how you can be completely corrupt through every. And there's and and those stories are always funny because there's always a part it's like, oh, here's where they got caught. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> well, apparently not. Yeah. My, my, my yeah. favorite was a guy who who proved himself insane. Got it put in the mental institution and then proved himself sane and got taken out of the mental institution and got away with murder, basically. Basically, yeah. And and that was actually the, the and that kind of leads into you touched on this a moment ago. I thought that, you know, maybe this was going to be a little bit of a of a clunker volume myself. And I went into this sort of expecting, um, you know, criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot and also completely fucking incompetent. That's really not the way a lot of these stories no. ended up playing out. And that I could not ask for a better segue into my next story that I picked out. And this one's, I think, a lot more famous and high profile. This is D.B. Cooper, Airline Hijacker. Oh, yeah, there was a movie I made about this one. Yeah. Yeah, actually, and I never, I never saw it, but this is page 183. And the story here is actually pretty simple. D.B. Cooper hijacked an airplane, ransomed the hostages for something like $300,000, $300, and then somehow, I don't know how, but somehow, fucking escaped. He remains at large to this day. We never found the bastard. So we don't, and we don't know for sure that his name it, – it's probably not D.B. Cooper, but we don't even know who the hell this guy is. Who he was, right. And so this is one of those robberies that – it's kind of captured the public imagination. He was a folk hero I, when this happened. I remember when this happened. I was, he, was, he, was, he was a folk hero. People – you know, when the movie came out, it was sort of a triumphant – you know, story because he was, he did the he did the whole common man thing. You know, let let the passengers off. This isn't about the pet. You know, he let the regular people go, and he was just trying to do his thing. You know, and the only people he endangered were the pilots. And well, even that's, I don't know. You can kind of debate even that. Yeah, in the in the eyes of the law, he did. You know, but oh, fair enough. And in the eyes of the public, you know that the. the it was really like, hey, what did this guy do that was that was harmful besides break it? But that was sort of a 70s. That was a sort of 70s thing. The the sort of Robin Robin Hood sort of hero guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, the one of the reasons that this kind of captured the public imagination was because fucking Ocean's Eleven didn't go this smoothly. And the guy truly did get away with it. And I think that's if the main lived. reason. Well, well, yeah, there is that. But uh, presupposing that he lived, I mean, that would be really at this point the one hitch in the guy's plan. But uh, presupposing that he did, I think that's really the main reason for the D.B. Cooper story's kind of ongoing appeal. Because you've got you, you've got a guy that, like as you say, he came he came out of nowhere, fucked over. I don't even know who paid this ransom. To be yeah, honest. I was unclear who paid the ransom. Um, because if you think about it, there are multiple jurisdictions in play here at that point. I mean, I, there's no way. I, how could the city of Seattle possibly scare up $300,000 in they, 1971 on just a few hours' notice? They right? might have that. They might have something like that for situations like that, you know? I don't know. They did, though. <laughs> right. And, and they had an opportunity to mark every bill, supposedly. 
Right, and that was really the the main reason I figured it, it was probably the FBI. You know, I mean, what if I were the, if I were running the FBI, I'd probably have a like a million or two just sort of in cash, I yeah. guess liquid, ready to go at all times. It's already been marked. You don't have to do anything. Just basically put it in a bag, deliver it, and then find the fucker, right? And the fact that nothing like that appears to have been done. The ba- the the bills were marked, but somehow we still haven't found this guy. I don't know. I mean, it it does kind of call his survival into into question well i mean if i were him how could i ever believe that that parachute they gave me was gonna work right (laughs) you know i mean if i if they were like okay he's i mean obviously there's there's his plan he wants the money and a parachute and they're gonna fly so Mm -hmm. you know at some point he's gonna jettison and he's jettisoning alone, so why not give him the crappiest parachute with all the 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 strings cut, you know, down to the last thread or something, or made to malfunction halfway down, and then there you go, problem solved. Except well, that's the thing he asked three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I, I think he actually covered his bet on that one. What he did was he actually asked for multiple parachutes, ah. and so you would assume that he's going to keep at least a couple of hostages handy for safekeeping mm-hmm. and sort of as an insurance policy. And then you're, you probably don't want to Jerry rig all of those. Right. right. So, um, that, I don't know. I could be wrong, but that would have actually been my move. You know, you don't ask for just one parachute cause they know who it's for. Right. So, um, yeah, but no, I mean, I, I, and you know, here's the thing. This is one of those things that I truly do not believe you could get away with these days. And not just because of, um, you know, it's it. You know, there's a there's you post nine eleven airports. Well, that, but I think post nine eleven passengers. All oh, you need right. to do is is just stand up and say, "Hey guys, I'm hijacking the plane." You've now got something like anywhere from one to three hundred people that you've got to fight because these people are all thinking the same thing. I'm dead either way, so I'm gonna right. I, I'm I'm taking you with me, pal. And who knows? Maybe I can save my own skin in the process. There's no way. I'm not saying it's impossible to hijack a plane. But that's one hell of a of a hurdle to get over it's these days. It's become harder, yes, <laughs> in all and, ways possible too. And it's also that's that's the thing is this stuff is so much more secure now and under wraps that you know they could scramble a a jet fighter a lot easier these days and 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 watch the plane and go okay there he goes you know and have somebody we have GPS now you know it's it's just that that as time goes on, these the, the people who scam have to constantly adjust, or you know, do, to for the adjustments that are being made because of them. Right. And it's it's just great to see it back in the early days before police had learned a lot of lessons and or how they learned those lessons. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, as far as like my main stories were concerned. Um, that was basically that was that was actually basically it. So those were the the two that I picked out. And so, yeah, I've got some um, some sort of lightning round picks, some runners up, but I think we can probably save those for later. So um, okay. it, it's uh, at this point, it's pretty much your turn. So uh, what have you got for us? Okay, well, my first one I got here is Cap Streeter on page thirty six, and his uh, Garbage Island. I love this story. A because I love the idea of a a guy just scamming people to dump their garbage until it makes a plot of land and then setting a this, this guy's living the libertarian dream right here. 
Yeah, yes, he is. And and it was in just this weird um, time period. I mean, uh, this this is around Chicago, mm-hmm. um, which is notorious for police corruption. But back in these days, police corruption must have been just downright thuggish, you know, just, you know. And, and when you look at this, it basically becomes a war between the criminal police and and this guy with his garbage island who's half inspirational, you know, for his spirit, but half just obviously like just a, a, a scam artist, you know. He's just a opportunist. Yeah, let's call him what he is. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you have this basically epic battle between the police and an unmoderate nobody stepping in to stop this <laughs> against his hired thugs the police the police's hired thugs it's just constant like raids on his island and and uh, where he's making his his moonshine and and then retaliation on the police and uh, unbelievable and you know get yeah and at, at different points he's actually sh- shooting and killing probably killing police officers and if you do that shit these days they will drop the hammer of god on you so hard you won't even know it hit you but back in those days i think that there's a segment of law enforcement and god knows judges who found out that maybe some crooked cop ended up getting offed well yeah because he was trying to scam somebody and they're like well hey fuck him he did it to himself yeah they don't have that attitude these days it was it was it was the frontier and i and i mean a lot of uh, and the, when he had eventually went to jail for shooting a cop, it was the guy wasn't there as a cop. The guy was there, you know, as part of a paid, you know, mercenary group to go in and uh, and take him out. But the fact that he was a cop was, and and when it all comes out in the wash, <laughs> his land ended up getting absorbed and turned into like the most expensive property in Chicago. <laughs> Yes, it did. And and now it's you know this this which is still named Streeterville after him. So it's still got a very like bad bad part of town name to it. It's yeah. Anytime you 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 come to a part of town that's called whatever, like named after somebody's name, Ville, Ville or town at the end of it. Yeah, you're you know it's not good. Yeah, it really is just like a step away. Maybe to varying degrees, just a step away yeah. from like Jonestown, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. So Street- Streeterville sounds st- sounds pretty uh, sleazy, but then you know there's like Sternoville or something like that where you're even you can take rock rock layers down. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, um, I guess the thing that really stood out to me in uh, this story is like you were saying, it is sort of the frontier aspect where. You know what? It is sort of unknown, or at least it's maybe not unknown, but it's at least arguable. It's up for debate. Somebody crashes his boat technically in uh, waters that are outside of uh, the uh, the state limits, the city limits, and county limits. Exactly whose fucking property is this? And you have somebody who's maybe opportunistic enough to say, you know what, this is actually mine. It this has is my balls enough. Fight. Yeah. Hey, you know, nobody else is claiming it. Here I am. I'm on it. Yeah. And this is my personal island. Uh, what I say goes, I'm the emperor here. I get to set the law. 
And rather than, you know, having like the FBI or somebody like that come in and say, okay, dude, not so fast. This is, th these, if at the very, these are not international waters. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, you would have, you know, like little debates like that back then, because I don't think that American jurisprudence, especially when it comes to real estate, had been so clearly laid out then as it is now. Now it's not open to debate. We know what the, or we yeah. can reasonably guess what the law is. Back then, ee, I don't know. We and, still have squatters, right? So there's still ways of squatting and gaining land to this day. Although his claim to it does it was rather dubious, you know. But it, it, at the beginning point, he actually did, you know. Instead, you know, he didn't just claim it as his. He well, he did, but he also went and studied the laws and was looking for, you know, doing what any lawyer would do. And I guess he was sleazy enough to be a lawyer. Would, would do is you find you find the loopholes and he went through it and he said okay well I guess I could and I'm sure that I'm sure the truth and reality were stretched here and there but when it was all done he probably found something in the laws that semi sort of kind of said that he could claim that land you know yeah well all around I just thought you know this is one of those stories it almost made my list but end of the day, we can only have at most, you know, two main stories yeah. and then really like two, uh, two lightning round picks. And so, there's this would have been number five though on my list. Well, this next one, and I don't know what it was that made it my favorite story, but I love this story. I'd never heard this one before. Is uh, Gaston Means, and the Mod King case. Although it's really not the Mod King case as much as just like the charmed life of Gaston means. <laughs> but uh, yes. the, the guy basically, he was a, a private detective, a sleazy private detective. And uh, he eventually latched on to a rich widow who, you know, married a lumber magnet when she was, what, like 18 or 20 or something like that, you know, and. And basically, he died after four years. She inherited his money, and he sort of attached himself on as her security person, and you know, had set up scenarios that made him look heroic and as if he was, you know, had a hundred percent her interest in in mind. And of course, eventually, he became in charge of all her finances, and everybody knows where that goes. Yes, and. But you'd think you'd know where that goes. But eventually she started to get wise to it. And, you know, he, he basically set it up. He went out with her brother in a very, you know, something out of the Sopranos, took her out in the woods and executed her. And then claimed, you know, she was twirling around his gun and accidentally shot her, shot himself. Then despite, you know, um, all evidence pointing that he shot her, and all this, he eventually he eventually walked. Um, the the jury let him go, and um, basically, <laughs> by the end, he had climbed to the position of a top FBI man working for J. Edgar Hoover <laughs> by continuing Hoover. just as steadfastly. It sounds like he was a master at at getting dirt on people. But um, I mean, it when it came to the point of where he, he he avoided being guilty of murder, but that wasn't even good enough. They eventually came up with a story of you know a lone motorcyclist who shot her down the line just to make it 
him look better, I guess, you know, just, <laughs> and, and it worked. And it, it seems like, and to me, it's the perfect example of this guy wasn't fooling anybody after a certain point. He fooled the woman that he eventually murdered. Everybody after that knew what this guy was up to right up until he got hired by the FBI. And then I'm thinking they hired him exactly because of <laughs> all of this shiftiness. They were like, this guy not only is willing to do anything, anything and to cover it up and is able to cover it up, but he's able to do it, you know, with a straight face and, and just never, never, never bend in the face of everybody knowing that he's wrong. It's like a perfect FBI guy. Cajones. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, the, the whole thing about this story that actually there were, there were two things. Now the, um, you perfect mentioned Hoover that, era FBI guy, I should say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely of his time. One of the things, though, that stood out to me was you mentioned The Sopranos a minute ago. It's kind of funny that uh, on, on the very last panel at the bottom of uh, page 47, dude actually kind of looks like Tony. He does look like Tony Soprano, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. But it's that smile. In, yeah, well, and also the, the brow, too. Yeah, like Just the shape of – but uh, the, thing, the other thing, though, that stood out to me was that this is – if you were to put this in a movie, this would be the cheesiest – schlockiest um, sort of wannabe crime noir story that anyone is... This would be a B-movie just by showing up, right? You would have to... In order to make this, like, viable, you'd have to put it in the hands of, like, Francis Ford Coppola or the Coen brothers or something like that to make it seem plausible in reality. Yeah. Movie. You know, this is... Rea you know, reality be is stranger than fiction. Well, and the thing is, I mean, it's like just so much of this. It feels like it's already directly lifted out of like some uh, crime, 1930s, 1940s crime movie already. It, it it just feels like it's kind of perfect. In fact, I think that actually sort of holds for a lot of these stories. But I mean, this chick, Maud King specifically, they or she she all she kind of has this femme fatale look going for her already of course this guy's a sleazy private eye i mean everything about this thing is already so schlocky to begin with yeah every it, no nobody's really a a good player in it you know what i mean she's she, i mean she's not a, like a murderess or anything but you know she's obviously like we got a little gold or at least portrayed in in this story you know the comics adaptation of it she's definitely got some gold digger <laughs> going on so it's just basically, you know, slimy person being, you know, hijacked by an even slimier person who gets hired by an even slimier person. Right. And yeah, and it's just the layers of this thing, you know. And the thing is, they never actually outright say that he that he murdered Maud. What's her name? That I that he never they, they never come right out and say that but I mean come on it's pretty who the much hell a, else it's pretty yeah it's it's pretty much the natural uh, well she just happened to randomly go hunting with him for the first time about the time that she was questioning their finances which yeah. were in the toilet because of him and I don't know it just this this feels like it's like the only reason you couldn't make a movie out of this is because it's so full of stereotypes it's already so it's already just got so much schlock in it already. We've we've seen this story a thousand fucking times. The only thing that makes this interesting is the fact that it really fucking happened. I know. 
you know, and it's already got all of those little crime noir movie tropes going for it. I mean, you know, you could almost picture, you know, that uh, he's sitting there in his office one night and uh, Maude King wanders in and he's just sitting there with his cigar and his whiskey saying, from the moment I saw her, I knew she was trouble you know? <laughs> or something like that. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I love I love it. <laughs> well, there's a place where all that came from, I guess, you know, but. <laughs> Well, uh, that's pretty much all I had on the on the, this story. You got anything else? No, that's uh, th- that's about it. I, I I'm just fascinated with this this theme throughout the whole book of of you know there's there there's two ways it almost could go. It's like to to prison and death, or to uh, to the top. <laughs> you know, you get recognized for being the criminal you are and somebody somebody goes hey you're pretty good come join our organization and they and they move and and usually as they move higher up they move more towards a place of quote unquote legitimacy like the FBI or Congress or something like that yeah uh, or you just end up like the guy who is kidnapping everybody and you just disappear in the middle of the night and nobody knows what happened that was another story of just like almost unbelievableness where the where there was uh, i i can't remember the guy's name but he basically set up a boarding house would drug people sell them to the the ships that were sailing for a hundred bucks a head where they'd be used as slave labor oh yeah he was saying yeah and just the and uh, another just by the nature of those times yeah you could you could make people disappear put them on the boat that boat's not coming back for five years. <laughs> five years. It's nobody's cell phone sending a cell phone off it. Nobody's sending a letter off it. Nothing. It's gone, and uh, and that you could just sit in one place and just feed people into a, into slave ships like that, and make it into a profitable business. You know where your business expands and to where. The people in the town generally, you know, there were there were jokey names for the. He used to give people cigars with opium in it so they'd fall asleep, and and to, for that to just be able to exist <laughs> for years and years and years to where it becomes like I'm sure by the end when somebody hopefully you can only hope as they say in the the comic that he got Shanghai himself and sent off on a boat, but. That you could just do that for years. It must have become like just a regular day at the office, you know. How many? Oh, we got to get more people tomorrow. <laughs> well, and I think that you know that kind of leads into um, you know one of the one of the uh, runners up that I had. This is uh, Frederick Emerson Peters, the crook everybody liked, from page twenty six. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to dwell on this too much. But, you know, a lot of the things that we've said here I think are also kind of true of this and that the technology gap at the time allowed for certain things to be done that would never, ever be possible again. But the short version here is that Fred Peters, he was arguably the first real Czech swindler Mm -hmm. in history. And this took place in the early 20th century, which, as we've said, that's kind of a kind of a weird time in American history and that the public had a very different view of crime than it does today. And I think the real sort of selling point there was that if you had a colorful enough bullshit story to cover for you, 
you could get away with just about anything. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't really see that as often these days, but I think that even now, less so now, but every now and then, people sincerely don't mind being taken a little bit for, for a ride. And I, I've got a, a story. Yeah. I've got a story, actually, that I wanted to, uh, to tell you about. Um, now, before we get into this, as I've said before, I don't run a partisan show or anything like that. I try not to get political, but this story kind of sort of requires me to talk about a very well-known, very famous political figure. And so if you think that there's a possibility that hearing me talk about this might bother you, I say just skip ahead a few minutes because <laughs> you're not going to like this story. But basically what happened was I was born originally in uh, Odessa, Texas. And uh, uh, it was basically you know, the beginning of the 80s. And if any of you are familiar with Texas's economy at the time, one of the driving forces of our, uh, of our uh, sort of local economy here was oil. Some of you may already know where this story is going. And as it happens, my dad, uh, you know, worked in Odessa. He among he was sort of a, the lead sales guy at a at a sort of high end stereo shop because that was a big thing, you know, hi fi, back in the eighties. Yeah, it was a big thing for people to have, and uh, so people would come into the shop and you know they'd deal with my dad and he'd sell them whatever it is that they needed, right? And so one day, the son of the vice president of the United States of America at the time came to pay uh, the stereo shop a visit. He was in town on business, and George W. Bush himself came in and purchased something like $10,000. Oh, those I nice Sherwin Vegas speakers. Oh, yeah. And and so, um, you know, my dad's eyes are just getting like, because number one, everybody knows who he is. I mean, there's no, there's no mystery here. Everybody knows George W. Bush. He was, I mean, he, he was not then, obviously, as famous as he ultimately became, but even back then, he was something of a local celebrity. I mean, number one, he was the local oil tycoon. Number two, he's the son of the vice fucking president of the United States. So either way you look at it, everybody knew George W. Bush. And so um, Pop was more than happy to uh, you know, sell him. I, like I, I swear to think it was something like $10,000 worth of shit. And Probably on commission, too. Lucky day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so... Uh, Bush does that sort of stereotypical kind of cartoony pat down of himself. Oh, damn, I think I forgot my wallet. I shit you not. Turns around to this other guy in the store and says, hey, can I borrow your credit card? Wow. Wow. Dude fishes out his wallet, hands over his Amex, and says, enjoy. But at this time, I, it, but this time it actually was George W. Bush and not Teddy yeah. Roosevelt Jr. Yeah. But yeah, and, oh my God. Well, but then again, then, everybody well, knew it, no, so the, you knew who he was. But then again, George W. Bush, what would you have done if he didn't pay the the, <laughs> the bill on it? Would you be like, uh, hey, dude, you know, get in touch with his people or something? Well, and that's the thing. I mean, uh, it was generally known that the guy's flush, and so I think the guy was willing to take it on faith. But uh, who knows? But the funny thing was, though, is that. In spite of the fact that everybody knew how well, you don't you don't really know how much money somebody else has. But in a, in a, for a guy like that, you've got a pretty good idea. He still said, and I quote, on his way out the door, he's like, "Oh, don't worry. By the way, my my daddy will pay you back." Oh wow! Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's a fucked up story, but uh, oh, yeah, it's a great one. But you know, speaking of like you know, 
passing hot checks and everything. Did you ever see that movie, Catch Me If You Can? I don't think I have. I've, it's one of those movies I meant to hear because I've heard it's really good. It was one of like Spielberg's better movies in the sort of recent era. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with that, but it's actually based on a true story, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This guy, Frank Abagnale, uh, in the 1960s, he basically, I guess you could say, he, he sort of modernized the, this fine art of check swindling you know, for his time. And um, I'm actually kind of surprised that there wasn't a story about about him in in this book. Now, I, in, in in a lot of ways, I'm actually kind of glad that there's that there isn't because I've like I don't know if I ever told you this story or not, but I've actually had occasion to like talk to Frank Abagnale. Oh, really? Like the, yeah, the character on that you know Leon, Leonardo DiCaprio played in that movie. Yeah, the real guy. And I've actually had occasion to uh, talk to him. Um, this was like oh golly, this was like. Uh, it was, like, it was like 10 years wow. ago. And at the time, I was working um, as a freelance web designer, right? And it was a situation where like, I don't think anybody like really sets out to become a freelance web designer. It just You just sort of fall ass backwards into doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I had a team, and um, generally speaking, I, it was my self-assigned task to go out and find new clients and stuff, right? But I would sometimes people would pass me leads and stuff and then I, you know, make contact and all this stuff, talk them, uh, you know, talk them up, figure out what they need and we make the site. And so the movie had been out, it, it came out like a year, maybe, a, maybe a year earlier at the most. And it was about that time I was freelancing and somebody said, yeah, hey, you know, there's this guy who runs a security company. It's a, it's a sort of startup. He's looking for a site and, uh, you know, you need to give him a call, right? And so went ahead, called, and I, it, it's like the name didn't really register right away. But you have to understand, I had just seen this fucking movie, right? So it was very fresh on my mind. And I'm sitting here, I'm talking, to, and it, it's like I look at his name again. I'm like, oh my God, Frank Abagnale. This is the guy from the fucking movie, uh -huh. right? And I got to tell you, dude, like, I know, I know for a fact that you have met people like this in your life. Like, there's this, this just fucking scumbag just fucking i don't even know how to like it, it's the kind of guy that you know you just you don't believe a word that this guy says mm -hmm. you're you, you 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 go out to lunch with the guy um the waitress comes out and uh asks what everybody wants to drink when he says that he wants to drink iced tea it's like my god this man is lying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he can't not lie yeah, yeah and he's just one and the thing the thing that really just I ended up not not working for the guy because there was just something about this guy that just he is just such a fucking scumbag that I decided, you know what? I realize I may be kissing off something like 20 uh I, I forget what the exact figure was. It, uh, I think but like my take of it it probably would have well, I don't want to even get too specific on what my take of it would have been. It would have been nice, you know, real nice. And what I realized is that, you know what, I don't want to feel like I have to take a shower after every time I talk to my fucking client. Yep. This guy is going to fuck off. I'm not working for him. But, you know, and the thing the thing about it, though, that really kind of, I guess, sort of boiled my balls a little bit was that this guy scammed all of these different banks, all of these different airlines, all of these different car rental companies. You name it, he scammed them. We're talking millions and millions of dollars here. He had to, you know, he, he ended up getting caught 
uh, sent to the clink for a couple of years, forced to work basically as a slave for the FBI. It's like the fucker was proud of it. All right, he was proud of oh, how much money. Oh, sure. He, he got a movie made about him. It's it's nar- He's uh, he's obviously like kind kind of a narcissist, you know. So it doesn't matter. Tension is attention. A couple years, and when he was in jail, he probably had a little bit of celebrity in jail. His whole life is is working out wonderful for him, actually. You know, yeah. in, in a kind of way, this guy's created his own world, lived in it successfully. And yeah. and a lot of these guys do, do when they're done, um, have a measure. You know, the guy who uh, forged uh, paintings, a lot of the famous art forgers, like are now heavily collected. You know, their their paintings sometimes can be worth more than the originals, or you know, very close to the originals. And uh, I mean, it's America. We admire people with balls. We, it, it, Gene Simmons. Would you ever want to hang out with Gene Simmons? Like, seriously. I mean, if you're a big Kiss fan, you could hang out with him and go, "Hey, tell me about this album," or. Or this or this, but just like as somebody you'd want to go to dinner with or something with, no. But at the same time, everybody would want to watch him as a celebrity and kind of admires him because, hey, this guy's created his own world and it's completely fake, but look, he's done it. <laughs> you know, he did go to jail, but now he's on TV, you know, which probably makes him very happy. And, and now he's legit. Now he can sort of do what he was doing legitimately i mean yeah. the, the guy who who posed as as um franklin or theodore roosevelt jr or the second mm-hmm. um a lot of times he did a lot of his checks didn't even come into play because the people framed him and then even after he was they knew who he was they they left it up there because hey at first they thought they were in on meeting you know theodore roosevelt's son and then on it they're, they're they met the famous scammer <laughs> so it almost doesn't matter <laughs> yeah if you can make yourself famous and and i don't understand how i've met a bunch of those bullshitty slimy people that, that and i and i like the description that everything they say is a lie even down to the ordering the iced tea and to me they're like a walking flashing strobe light you know the ob just the level of obviousness of how they present themselves and how full of shit they are. But man, that plays like crazy. <laughs> there's, there's always enough dumb people or people who are dazzled by people who are charismatic in a cheesy sort of way. Like the mm-hmm. charisma of those people never comes off to me as being real charisma. It never comes off as being authentic, you know, or it, it just is, you know, they're being magnanimous or friendly because they're trying to get something out of you or they're pro- trying to project an image of themselves or something. They don't really care. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, we love that shit. Yeah. Well, those are really the two real world stories that I had that just relate to people taking others for a ride. And it's kind of funny that those stories more relate to my, to my runners up, but there you have it. Now I've actually got one other runner up, but you want to, but I don't know as we've got time to go through all of mine. You want to go through a few of yours? I've only got uh I've only got one really, but I really like this one. It was Mister Eight Eighty, Emmerich Jutner. Jutner, I'm guessing is how he pronounces his name. He was the right. guy. He's the guy who he 
counterfeited $1 bills. <laughs> Not even all that well. <laughs> Very poorly. With bad spelling and smiles on George Washington's face, that makes it... Now, this is a guy... I truly like this guy. And and, and I don't think this is guy's a charismatic narcissist. I think he was just a dotty old, old dude who stumbled on something. Knew it was wrong, but just had such restraint <laughs> which is yes. good which is what a lot but you know was just like ah i can print some d- dollar bills and um you know live a me you know he was happy with a meager existence it was just food food and shelter for he and his dog wolfie and uh and 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 just on a side note when i hear the guy talking in his voice i hear like for some reason, Bill Robinson doing Arnold Schwarzenegger talking to his dog, Wolfie, and I don't know why it doesn't even make sense, but that's what I heard all the way through reading this. But, um, and I, and I just loved it and people would get his dollar bills. And I I mean, I would be one of those people if he passed me a dollar bill and I was at the subway, I would take one of my own dollar bills out, switch it, put it in the machine and pocket his and be just like, Ooh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is awesome you know and I, apparently a lot of people did that you know and a lot and and there just didn't seem and when he did get caught and it's funny they did spend the fbi spent a lot of time and effort tracking him down but then when they got him he just took all the piss out of him by being just like ah, me and my my poor dog you know my the poor Dead Schultz, I want to keep trying to say Schultzy, <laughs> Wolfie, and yeah, the, it, it, he was truly a beloved. It, you know, he was he was given you know money. Er, the the other prisoners were taking up a collection for him on the way out of on the. Jeez, way out of the yes. <laughs> oh, that was good. Yeah, that's for some reason I just pictured a sort of schlub like um. Like Felix Unger type, you know, uh, just making his way out of prison and and stuff. That's I don't know why, but that's just the way I I just pictured this guy, sort of Jack Lemon, you know. And uh, I don't know. That's great. <laughs> He's just a simple man. All right. Well, uh, do you have? Uh, uh, I think we're actually running up against your your cutoff time here. Do you have anything else that uh, you want to uh, work through with all of this? You got anything else you want to mention? No, I think I'm pretty good on this one, you know, with, you know, without going into the four hour zone of podcasting, which we've been known to do. Yeah. I mean, really a pretty much, I would say like 80% of this, we could do like story for story and they would all be really interesting. There's not, there's not many clunkers in this one. No, there aren't, but that actually does lead into something that I wanted to ask you about. I mean, the 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 point is going to come when we when we run out of big books but what i've realized is that you and i not so much with like urban legends or conspiracies but with like a few of these books we only really touched on like just a like a couple of stories and we because of how long these things are we had to leave some real gold on the table yeah and it just kind of made me wonder if some of these might actually be worth revisiting at some point in the future so um well maybe maybe at the end we should do a roundup and, you know, go go through the, the books that, that we liked and the stuff that we liked, or even some of the ones we didn't like, and maybe pick out some more gold from those ones and have a sort of little, 
um, also rans type episode sort of binding it all up. I think I could get on board with that, actually. That's not a bad idea. Um, but as to uh, next time, um, what I was thinking about was we could do uh, the big book of Vice. Okay. You want to give that a shot? or I'm do you always do down for Vice. All right, cool. All right, so Vice, Vice. is my middle name. <laughs> All right, well, that's in there. So I guess that's going to be uh, April whenever uh, the listeners finally hear that. So now uh, as, to, uh, as, as to you, uh, where can they find you? They can find me, as always, at twotruefreaks.com, which after the first couple of years, we decided it was good to, instead of being twotruefreaks.com, make it easy. And I got a million, I say, when I say I, I'm using myself to represent all the other people who work hard at our podcast, including Scott Gardner, the other, the second freak, but we've got every kind of nerd podcast there and a few more kinds coming in the near future yeah it seems like every time i turn around you know there's some new uh you know some either a new show is starting up or somebody's migrating over to uh the feed and uh but it just it, it feels like you know i'm thinking on probably a year you guys are going to have a monopoly and so we may we may end up having to uh you know do some sort of antitrust stuff maybe the comcast of podcasts yeah, of nerd podcasts. That's scary. <laughs> the, All right. Well, the pod, the Comcast that makes no money. That's a that's a great. Well, uh, yet. Yeah, <laughs> Give <great>. it time. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, I think that's pretty much it for me. So thank you very much again for uh, for joining me. I love 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 doing these. Oh doing yeah, these I always look forward to these. So I always right, well, love these I, shows because always about three quarters of the way is when you traditionally go. I don't usually talk about politics or yeah. anything like that, but <laughs> this one time I'm going to make another exception. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, so I think that's basically it then for this time. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, come back because obviously April the 14th, Key and I are going to do the big book of vice. But uh, for right now, bye everybody. I will see you next time. Bye. Time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant. Intense freak! Two! Belong in the circus. <laughs> right next to the dog faced boy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, Peyton!
And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Yeah, goddamn lucky he didn't kill all And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, she let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia Shoe. I say shut up! It's a manhouse! If you like strange pop culture, if you like obscure stuff that you wish you'd have heard of years ago and you don't know what it is, if you like just that kind of stuff, old radio, um, obscure, unmarketable pop culture, uh, strange chiptune music, um, all sorts of things like that can be found on the Quake Reversal Satellite on Overnightscape Underground at O-N-S-U-G dot com. It's an amazing show at an amazing place full of uh, strange and unmarketable internet transmissions. Hours and hours and days and just O-N-S-U-G dot com. Take a look around and I bet you you'll find something. You know, a dear friend once said to me, it's a lot of fun when everyone's a dork of some sort or another. And I thought not only are those words to live by, it's an idea worth celebrating. So that's why I created Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that is about, well, let's just say it's completely random. (laughs) One episode might be about movies, the next might be about comics, the next might be about music. All that matters is that I'm giving you a recap and critique of stuff I enjoy and you're having as much fun as I am or at least I hope. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, The Sworn Testimony of a Dork. You can find a new episode at least once a month at popcultureaffidavit.podomatic.com and notes, essays, and other stuff once a week at popcultureaffidavit.com. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality, is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus. 
which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy.